want to thank you for coming this morning uh, to church and being a part of uh, Outward Church. If this is your first time, I want to welcome you, uh, especially, uh, my name is Matt, I'm the lead pastor here, um, and uh, today is an incredible day, and uh, pastors always uh, cringe a little bit when you look at the weather report, and both Saturday and Sunday are really nice days, and so I'm always happy to see people actually in the seats on days like this, so thanks for being here. You know, we're in a series uh, on Proverbs, and Proverbs is uh, a, famous, um, a famous book of the Bible that gives us wisdom and how to live. And I just want to briefly say that if, uh, if the God of the Bible is the one who created all things, then his wisdom about how life works is incredibly important. So when you understand God's wisdom, then you understand how life was intended to work, and as a result, you can function in that way. And when you participate with, with God's intended design, uh, good things can happen. It doesn't mean, it's not a promise that they always will happen, but Proverbs is essentially a list of probabilities that are, that are in line with when we operate and function in the way that God has uh, in, intended that we do, uh, what happens is that life goes better. Life goes well for us. And so this morning, we're in Proverbs again, and we're talking about work. And um, we're, we're talking about how to function properly in work, how to look at our, our work uh, effectively, and as a result, be good employees, be people who enjoy our work, yet don't worship our work. Many times we can look at our work as either a joy or a drudgery, uh, or we can essentially think that it, it is either uh, our God or a, a goblin, uh, something that haunts us in life. Oh, I've got to go to work again. But what if your work turned into something that was incredible and, and a way for you to serve God by serving others, uh, to glorify God by, uh, by essentially serving others in the best way possible? I, I want you to know that I'm somebody who's learned a lot from Proverbs, especially as it comes to work. Um, I have uh, gained a lot of wisdom and a lot of direction from it. And uh, when you read through Proverbs on a regular basis, and I want to encourage especially our young folks to pick up the book of Proverbs, and not just Proverbs, because I think Proverbs is, is good, but I think you should be reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are talking about the life of Jesus Christ so that you understand who Jesus is, and not just get good advice, but get uh, advice connected with the person of Jesus Christ. But to be reading through Proverbs, especially as a young person, in order to uh, gain wisdom and insight, in order to gain understanding and how you should go about your work life. Too many of us are people who are going through life and we are never really listening to anybody else. We're not really being wise about the way that we work and, and uh, the way that we treat our employer or our employees or what have you. And we're looking at life in a way that is, that is just wrong. We're looking at work in a way that is just wrong. When in reality, uh, much of your life is filled with work. You, there's nothing in life that you will do as much of as work. Work is a part of life. It's a part of what you're doing. It's a part of everything uh, in, in your life. You build your life around that oftentimes, and uh, the rest of your life functions in conjunction with whether you work graveyard or whether you work at a regular shift or, or whether you're an entrepreneur or an artist or, or something like that. Your life revolves around your work in, in so many cases. And so it, it is very important that we understand work and that we, that we do it well. I have needed wisdom from other people 
throughout my life as somebody who has been a worker. I remember when I was, um, I was in my early 20s and I had started, uh, had foolishly started a business too early. I did not have the wisdom uh, to pair with um, the idea of starting a business. And so I'd started this construction business, and yet here I am, a guy in his, I mean, I was 21, 22, somewhere in there, and I was somebody who was, who was working, and um, I, I had this job, and, and I, this old logger had hired me to build a deck for him, and he was helping me, w- me with it. But I would, uh, you know, party uh, till the wee hours of the night, and then, uh, and you know, everything that goes with that. And then, you know, I'd wake up at the crack of, you know, 10 a.m. and uh, get out of bed and say, you know, I'm, a, I'm my own boss. You know, I get to do that. And I would show up uh, to the job at like 11 or whatever. This is, you know, I'm a great contractor at this point. People are loving me. And so I'd show up at around 11. And I did this for a few days. And then uh, this guy, his name's Lou Sigmund. He pulled me aside and he just said, Matt, I need to tell you something. He said, people do not want to hire somebody who does not get out of bed first thing in the morning and get to the job. And it was like, newsflash to me. I was like, you know what? You're right. That's, that's crazy. And he said to me, he said, you need to get here first thing in the morning because people want somebody who's working for them, who's getting up first thing in the morning and who's there at the crack of dawn and ready to do that work and acting like they want to be on that job site rather than acting like they don't. And you know what? It changed my life. It changed my life. And when I wrote that guy a receipt, uh, for work, I wrote him a thank you note just saying thank you for speaking into my life in that way. And some of you need that type of wisdom in your life. Some of you are, are doing things uh, incorrectly and, and falsely. Some of you are not participating with God's intended design for your work. And as a result, what's taking place is that you're suffering the consequences of that. You're suffering the consequences of the way that you're working. And so um, I, I want to get into it uh, this morning. Proverbs chapter 6 is, uh, is kind of our, our headline verse this morning. And I want to read that ch- chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. And it says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And what this is talking about is it's saying this, like you can learn something from the very smallest creation that God has made, one of the smallest creations that God has made, from an ant. And Solomon is telling his son, he's saying, go to the ant and learn from this very tiny, tiny thing and learn what they do. I have some, some ants that are working very hard on uh, my house right now. They're working very hard, and they are, they're building a home in there. And so there's a lot to learn from them, and then I'm going to kill them. But uh, I will learn from them first. I, we found a carpenter ant at, at, in our house the, the other day, and uh, we're cleaning the house you know, with all of the kids and everything. And so my daughter sees me you know, grab this ant, and she's like, don't kill it. She's screaming, don't, she's crying and whining, please don't kill it, please don't kill it. And so I'm, I'm like, 
I don't want to devastate her. I said, listen, uh, Reagan, I'll just suck him up in the vacuum. He'll be fine in there. So I sucked the ant up in the vacuum. And then she's standing by the vacuum crying and saying, Daddy, let him out. Let him out. I'm like, no, he's fine. He's fine. Leave it alone. I just want to clean right now. But there's something that we can learn from ants. Ants do work, and they do it without anybody over them. They do work, and no one needs to prod them. No one needs to tell them what to do. They just operate and function with the way that they were created. And so uh, how do we look at work in such a way that we, we, we participate with God's design as a result? In our world today, um, there are many people who understand work to be something that is an evil. It's an evil thing, or it's, it's a thing that has come about as a result of evil. Tim Keller notes that uh, the, the myth of uh, Pandora's box is uh, related to this as well. As the box is opened, what is released is all the evils of the world, and included in that is, is work. There's another myth that he notes as well, which essentially says the same thing, that these gods uh, create this world and then decide, we don't want to do this work and all of this upkeep, mowing the grass and things of that nature, so let's create these lower beings who will do all of this work for us. But in some ways, ways in, in some cases, that type of ideology has worked into our culture, where people believe that work is an evil thing. But if you were to look at the beginning of the Bible, from the, very, from the word go, what you see is you see an incredible God doing something uh, incredible. He is working. He is creating. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the, and the earth. And it says that he worked so much in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. I think he wants us to know that he has done work. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God worked so much that he desired rest as a result. And so here we have all of these myths and these ideologies that say that somehow work is evil and yet God is a worker and we've been created in his image and as a result what takes place is that he's also created us to work. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. Now, before you think that somehow that comes after the fall, oh, they sinned, and now God's like, I'm going to get you now. I'm going to put you to work, and you're going to be, you know, doing data entry for the rest of your life, right? Or you're, you know, you're going to be a gardener, or you're going to work at Starbucks, or you're going to work for the state or the hospital or something like that. No, that's not what it was. God took Adam, and he said, I created you, and I've made this perfect paradise, and I've made uh, everything so perfect with relationship with me, and I am giving you something to do with your life, Adam. And so he gives Adam work. So work is not a result of the fall or the sin of man. Work is a result of God's blessing. Work is a, re a result of God creating paradise. Now, work became hard, it became difficult by the sweat of your brow, it says in Genesis 3.18. Thorns and thistles uh, uh, will, uh, will be in your way, and they will cause you know, work to be painful as a result. But here's the thing, is that when you mix up these two things and you say that somehow work is not a blessing, 
but that work is a curse, and as a result, I'm cursed because I have to go to work. You're missing the point, and you're missing what God has for you. You're missing a great blessing in life as a result. And so sometimes work can be uh, something that is improperly looked at. Here's some other ways that we get work wrong. Like I said, work is an evil sometimes. People think that. Sometimes people get work wrong by, by believing that somehow some type of work or some type of skill or some type of position is owed to them. Proverbs 22 verse 29 says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will not stand uh, before obscure men. He will stand before kings. Here's the thing is that so many times we look at our life and we say, you know what, I was owed that or I, I, I'm owed a good job or I'm owed this promotion or I'm owed an increase in salary. And what Solomon says here is he says, the book of Proverbs says here is that do you see a man who's skillful in his work? Like, this is somebody who has worked hard, and they, have, and they have gained insight, and they've gained wisdom, and as a result, they're going to stand before kings. And so when you come to your job, or you come to uh, different areas of work, and, and things of that nature, like, I should have that. I should, I, I should be able to have this, this in my life. I should have the increase in salary. Solomon says, do you see a man who's skillful in his work? This guy is going to be somebody who... Stands before kings. He's not going to stand before obscure men. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, in uh, one of his book, uh, books, I believe it's Outliers. I didn't have time to uh, look it up, but Outliers or David and Goliath or something uh, like that. Great books. You should read them. Um, but he talks about the 10,000-hour rule. And the 10,000-hour rule essentially says this. In order to become expert at anything, in order to become really good at anything, you've got to do something for 10,000 hours. And so he gives an example of, like, the Beatles how the Beatles, when they came on the scene, like everybody thought, oh, where did this band come that just out of, come from? Just out of nowhere. And everybody kind of thinks that they got together, they started playing music, and they were just that skilled. But that's not really what happened. What happened was this, was that they began touring, and they ended up landing, and I, I believe it was in Hamburg, Germany, where there was this party scene there with many bars and, and lots of seedy joints and so forth. But these guys would play three times a day, and they would play multiple sets over and over again. So if you can imagine playing three concerts a day, and they'd play to any time of the day that they could get in. They played, and they played, and they played, and they played. And if you were to add it all up, they've essentially met that 10,000-hour rule. Steve Martin, I was reading a, uh, um, a book by him talking about his life and how he became a comedian, and how he became an actor, and so forth. But Steve Martin was a, a young man, and when he was young, they moved close to Disneyland. And so he went to Disneyland to get a job. And so he got a job in a magic shop. Well, in this magic shop, he ran into multiple magicians and people who were performers. And so he learned all of these tricks over and over again. And then he, uh, he, was, he met all of these incredible people. And so he had all of this wisdom that was coming to him. And then he would perform for anybody that would allow him to perform for them. And then he uh, got a job at Knott's Berry Farm. And he would perform like three times a day. And then he would go all over the place. And he was working. And he was working. He was working. Skill does not come just because someone handed you a job. 
Skill does not come because somehow you just think that you're skillful. Skill comes from hard work. God has created you in such a way that you would be somebody who would learn great skills and then function properly in our world. And as you gain that skill and as you stick with something, good things begin to happen to you. But too often, especially young people, have a habit of moving from job to job. I did this as a young man as well. Sometimes you're just doing this. I mean, in college, you're changing your major a few times probably, but then you get out of school and you, you, know, you get a low-paying job and then maybe you get a, a, another job. But sometimes people just skip from job to job, from career to career. And what happens is that when you're skipping from job to job, you don't get established as somebody who is going to be effective in your work. You're not learning something. You may be learning some skills, but you're not in one skill that you're learning effectively all the time. I remember listening to uh, a, a preacher by the name of Louis Giglio. I went to this conference in uh, 2007 down in Atlanta, and I was trying to decide, should I start a church or should I not? And so I was, I was there, and I was, and I was thinking um, about it, and as I was thinking about that, I was hearing him speak, and what he said was this. He said, here's some advice for you about uh, starting a ministry or really starting anything. He said, just stay. Stay in one spot for a while. Stay there and, 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 and continue to function there in that place of ministry and continue to serve people over and over again so that you're serving uh, this person and, and then you begin serving their, uh, their parents or uh, you're, you begin serving their kids or their siblings and pretty soon you have developed a way of life where people are seeking you out and they're seeking out your ministry to serve them. But it's staying. It's staying in one spot. Too many times people do not stay in one spot. You're just moving from place to place. So one of the ways that we get work wrong is that somehow we think that it's owed to us and somehow we think that skill should just come to us and that somehow it just mysteriously appears, but that's really not the case. Another way that we get work wrong is that somehow we believe that it's separate from our spiritual life. It's separate from our spiritual life. Proverbs 11.3 says this, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. And then in Proverbs 20, verse 23, it says, Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord. And false scales are not good. And what that's saying is this, is that what, why is it talking about weights? What are unequal weights? It's saying this, it's saying in an agriculturally based society, it's uh, when you've got the, the balancing scales, and so when you're trying to balance out like a, a gram of, I don't know, I guess we measure uh, weed like that now, so... Uh, you have a, something that weighs a gram, and then you put whatever over here. But in an agriculturally-based society, the way that you would be crooked is that you would have a weight that does not, uh, it, it says one gram on it, but it's not a gram. It says a pound, and it's not a pound. It's actually less, or it's more, depending on how it's going to work, so that you can, uh, you can allow somebody uh, to be screwed over in the process of, of business. But what this is saying here is this, is that your character and your honesty in work or business, it really matters, that your spiritual life is, should not be separated from your work life that your spiritual life should very much inform your work life. And as it, as it says here, like um, 
uh, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord. Like God cares about your business practices. God cares about how you do work. God cares about how you operate and function in our society. I've known too many businessmen that are known throughout the city for the way that they treat other people, and yet they are known as Christians who attend a church, and yet they are foolishly doing business and committing heinous acts of thievery, taking things from people, mistreating employees. And so what matters is this, is that you're somebody of character, that you're somebody who has honesty, and that you understand that your spiritual life is not uh, is not disconnected from your work life, from your vocation, from your career. And then it's about money. Sometimes we think that it is all about money. It says this in Proverbs 23, verses 4 through 5. It says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. So here's the thing, is that when you're somebody who says, I want to work because I want this great paying job, I, I want this great paying job, and so you get into college and you say, what is the best paying job that I could get? And it's, it's a lawyer, it's a doctor, or some type of niche profession. And so as a result, you get into work, and what you got into work for was money. You got into that job and into that area of work so that you could ultimately serve yourself, so that you could be somebody that is self-serving. But here's the thing, is that when we do things that are self-serving, we find ourselves in a place where something, it just flies away. The money flies away. Look at this again. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist or to stop when your eyes light on it, when you finally get to that and you get to this point where, oh, I got this job, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. I remember when I got into construction, I, I, I thought it wasn't so much about money, but it was, it was about the position. It was about the idea that I, I, I wanted to be seen as somebody who was in charge. I wanted to be somebody who was uh, building things, and it was about me. And, of course, money came along with that. And so I got into this job, and I, and I was working. And, in fact, it was just like a mile down the road here. I was on this huge project. And here I was, a 21-year-old guy. shouldn't have been in this position as a foreman. I did not have the wisdom for that. But here I am. I'm working, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm, and I'm leading 20-some-odd guys on this job site, and, and, and we're getting things done, and, and I, I love that part, but I remember one day, I was upstairs, and I remember exactly where I was, I remember exactly where I was, I could take you into that building right now, and show you where I was standing, I was doing a little bit of sweeping for something, and all of a sudden, I thought to myself, this is not fulfilling me, and I was like, this is the one thing that I thought I always wanted to do, I thought there was going to be great money in being at the top tier of my career. I thought that there was going to be all kinds of fame and all kinds of glory in doing this. But I sat there and I was like, this is not fulfilling me. It's not fulfilling me. And you know what? The next thought that came is, is that I want to serve other people somehow. Somehow, I want to do something that matters eternally. I want to do something that counts. I want to do something that matters in life. 
And so I began from that point to look for something else because ultimately it was not fulfilling me. And this is what happens when you get into work because you want position, or you want power, you want money, when you're doing it for ulterior motives, instead of serving other people, here's what happens, is that it drifts away, it flies away, and all of a sudden, there's nothing there. But God has created you to be a part of a community. God did not create you as an individual just to be self-serving. God created you as somebody who would be a part of a community. And when you're somebody who says, I want to disconnect myself from that community, God says, that, that does, it doesn't work that way because you have been designed for community. And when you find that you are, you are serving other people and when you're allowing other people to, uh, to be served by your work or by your art or by, or by your building or by whatever it is that you're doing, this is when great fulfillment comes in life. This is when great things begin to happen. I, I remember I quit my job. I moved down to California and I was um, on this uh, mission trip with a group of people. And I was interning under, underneath this leadership, and um, all of a sudden, we're, we're staying in these tents that have no bottom on them. And so um, we're, we're staying in Mexico, and if you've ever been in Mexico, you know that they have some pretty incredible rainstorms. And so we're sitting there, and we're, uh, we're enjoying the evening, and then all of a sudden, this rainstorm comes over. And I mean, it rained harder than I've ever seen rain come down. We're out there with 50-plus high school students, girls and boys alike, and here we are, all of the tents are completely soaked. There is a river running through it, literally. A river running all over the place. The water is deep underneath these tents. And so here we are, and the leadership is panicked. And I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, hey, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then I realized they were, they just did not know what to do. And I finally just took charge and I said, hey, listen, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to go get this. You go get that. I'm going to run over here. I'm going to grab these people. And all of a sudden, something happened to me. I'm running through the pouring rain. I look like, you know, this, uh, I look like Rambo, right? Pretty sexy. Uh, with, with the mullet, too, if you can imagine that. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm running through the rain. It's filthy, dirty. I'm completely soaked. But you know what I'm doing? I'm helping people. I'm helping people. I'm get, I got people in the vans. We went and found another place. I took people there. And all of a sudden, I realized I have this leadership gift that somehow can come in and take control of this situation. And I can help people. I can help people do this. And all of a sudden, I find myself saying, I was made for this. I was intended for this. And you know what? Your work can, can work in that same way where you can say, I was intended to do this. God created me for this. I feel his pleasure. I sense his pleasure when I am doing the work that I've been called to do. I'm feeling what that is. And it begins to fulfill you and it begins to lift you up in life because God intended that it would work that way. So I wanted to give you just some, some quick wisdom before we get going on the rest of the sermon. And so that's that section there. But I wanna get into two problems. What, what I read to you at the very beginning is that there's, there's two different types of people. There's the ant and there's the sluggard. And so I want to I begin with the sluggard the slug, and, and why you should not be the sluggard and what they are like. Proverbs 26, verse 13 through 16. Proverbs 26, verse 13 through 16. Says this. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. 
The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. You see what this is saying here? It's talking about somebody who is a sluggard. The sluggard is somebody who, first of all, lies and makes excuses as to why they cannot get to work. Proverbs is repeatedly talking against or speaking against the fool who is a sluggard who refuses to work. Now, we're not just talking about somebody who is poor. Now, there, there are poor people who are not sluggards. There are poor people, there are people who do not have finances in our country, in our city, in our community right now, that it is not because they're not working. They're, uh, maybe they're a single mom or, or they fell on hard times, they got sick, they have huge health bills. They have things along those lines where they just, they can't, they're on disability, they can't actually function or something like that. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is we're talking about somebody who refuses to work and as a result what they do is they make up lies. They call in sick to work when they're not sick. Did you hear what I just said? They call in sick to work when they're not sick. They're lying. That's a a way that you say, there's a lion in the street. So, something ridiculous like that. Oh, something happened. I got this horrible cough and you know, I got leprosy and all, you know, I'm just uh, whatever. You, let me just speak to Christians here for a second. Like, you should not be lying to your boss through things like that. You should not be lying to your boss like that. There's, there's a lion in the streets. I, I, can't, I, I can't seem to make this happen. There's exaggeration involved. I, I just had too much, stuff going, too much stuff going on. I've just been really tired. Perhaps you are somebody who has been injured at some point or another. And you know that you could be doing something, but you're not doing it. And you're saying, well, I, I can't really work right now because I'm, I'm hurt. And so maybe you're taking advantage of some type of workers' comp situation or something like that. You're saying that there's a lion in the streets when there really isn't a lion in the streets. You're not really, uh, your hand isn't broken. You could still go to work. I, I, I want to be careful right now because there are people with legitimate issues. But I, before you exclude yourself from this, I want you to truly evaluate yourself and understand that if you're somebody who's making excuses and you're saying, like, I can't work, but you, you could actually... You could lift your hand to the phone. If you can come to church, if you can, if you can do something like that, you can still work. There's not a lion in the streets. You're exaggerating your problem to make it worse. You're taking advantage of a system that's, that's perhaps paying you. And so you're saying, I can't work right now. I'm, 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 I, you know, I just have these problems. There, there's a lion in the streets. Verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. And as a result, it's, it's essentially, it's sleeping. It's, it's constantly sleeping. It's, it's, more than just, it's more than just sleep, but it's somebody who just kind of monotonously does the same thing. It's a sluggard. You could be a sluggard at work. You could be somebody who's just kind of, you just kind of do your job. You kind of walk around. You just kind of go back and forth like a door on its hinges. That's about all that you're good for is opening and closing. You're, you're, you're essentially a sluggard if you're somebody who says, I'm not going to take any initiative. I'm just going to keep going back and forth in life. I'm just, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. I'm just going to go to work or whatever. But that is not what God intends for you. 
You're taking no initiative in life. You're somebody who loves sleep more than you love uh, glorifying God or helping your employer or serving other people. The, the next verse, verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is somebody who will not finish his work, won't finish what they're doing. I'm somebody, I, I have struggled with this because I sometimes just have more of a creative mind and sometimes I feel creative about something and so I'll work on something and then I lose creativity and then I just, I go on to something else. But I had to listen to this, like I had to, to look at this and say, I've got to finish what I'm doing. And I still struggle with that as a man, like I've got to finish a project before I start the next one. I'm about to uh, remodel my house, or kind of in the middle of that, and so forth, and so there's number, a number of projects all over that I've started, and so I've gotta go, and I've gotta not be a sluggard, I've gotta finish one part of that, and then move on. Uh, Proverbs 12, 27 says, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. It's, it's, it's the foolish idea of somebody who goes hunting, and then they, kill an animal, and then they don't cook it. They just kill this animal, and then they're like, uh, can you feed me? It's somebody who can't bring their food back to their mouth because they're just, they're just kind of tired, and they, they don't want to finish what they started. They don't want to finish what they started. They don't finish their work. Are you somebody who is diligent in your work? Are you somebody who finishes what you start? When you're at, at your work, what would your boss say about this? Do you finish your work? Do you finish a project that your boss has given you? Do you just kill and not roast the game? Can you bring your hand back to your mouth? Are you somebody who takes no initiative, a door on its hinges, goes back and forth, can't bring their hand back to their mouth and feed themselves? It's somebody who's, who's so lazy that they refuse to do this. Some of you may think to yourself, you know what, I'm not that type of person. But I want you to know that all of us exhibit traits in some way or another of somebody who is a sluggard. Don't just discount this and say, oh, that's not me. Verse 16 of uh, chapter 26. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. The sluggard is somebody who, who thinks that they are so smart they think that they have all of this figured out. I remember years and years ago, um, we had somebody who, who needed help um, cleaning up their house because, um, you know, the government or DHS was about to come get their kids if their house was not clean. Someone had called them in. And so they, they asked uh, our ministry to go, to go help them. And so we went and we just tried to be as, as, as gracious as possible, but somebody was a hoarder. Somebody was hoarding in the home, and you could not even get the front door open. Um, there, I'm, I'm not even joking you. In, in, in the ch children's room, there was this much stuff on the floor. It was, and, and actually, at one point, I found a coffee table underneath where I was walking. I thought I was just standing on stuff. I actually found a coffee table, and the stuff that was on the floor, sweatshirts, uh, T-shirts, jeans, socks, uh, newspapers, all, it was so tightly packed together because it had been that way uh, for the longest time. And so we're, we're sitting here cleaning out this house, trying to take stuff to the trash, trying to help them keep their children. And one of the things that I realized in the midst of this was that this man would not go to work. 
He could not, he could not provide for his family. And so I, I pulled him aside and I just said, what's, what's going on in life that, that is keeping you from working? And there was excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And I could not reason with him at all. I could not reason with him at all, and I got so frustrated, probably too frustrated, because I, here I am, I'm, I'm trying to serve this guy, I want to help him, but he was like the sluggard who is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. For some of you, if you're out of work or you're, you're going to be in a place of not, be, not having work at some point in your life, and someone with wisdom is going to come to you. And all of us exhibit these traits. So I don't want to say that, it, that, it's, that, it's, that it's one specific person. But you need to be somebody who says, I'm going to listen to what people have to say to me. Maybe not everybody, but people who are wise. People who are speaking into your life and saying, listen, you have an opportunity to take a job that would allow you to work even with your disability. I realize your leg hurts or your back hurts or something, but your hand is not broken. You have a mind that works, and we can find you a job in some way, shape, or form that, it's, that is going to help you. You've got to listen. Do not be a fool. Do not be a sluggard. Be somebody who says, I will work. I will do something. So many times people get stuck in a mode where they're just kind of waiting for something to happen. They're waiting for their, you know, their other job to call them back. Um, you know, they, they got laid off or something and they're just waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're putting off work and they're putting off work. And they use that as an excuse sometimes to say, you know what, I just don't have work right now. I'm waiting for my job. And, and oftentimes I have to say, um, you know that there's other places of business in our city, Right? Like there are other companies and so forth, but sometimes people use this excuse to say, I don't want to work. The end result is this, is that you should not be somebody who's a sluggard because you're not participating with the way that God has designed you. And as a result, your life is not going to go well. It says, again, Proverbs 12, 27, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth, will get precious wealth. 2 Thessalonians 3.10-12 through 12 says this, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. It's a direct command that's coming from God through the Apostle Paul, to, and he's speaking to this church, and he's saying to this church, he's saying, I'm hearing that there's a lot of people who are just hanging out in idleness, that they're not doing much, that they're not, that they're not working, and he's saying, get to work, and here's the thing is that sometimes people come to the church and they say, uh, we need help. And here's the thing, we love to help people with needs. Even people that sometimes may not even deserve it. We want to serve them because Jesus has served us when we don't deserve it. But here's the thing, sometimes those people routinely come back to the church, come back to the church, come back to the church, and never try to make progress in life and never try to get a job and never try and so they're trying to get something from the church or from church people on a regular basis and you need to be careful of that 
Number one, that you don't take advantage of God's people, that you don't take advantage of the local church. But uh, number two, that you'd be somebody who is participating in the workforce and that you're able to love people and to serve people uh, within our community. The second thing we were going to talk about on this is the ant. Remember what I said at the top. I said, uh, Proverbs 6, 6 uh, through 11, it says, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. So we're talking about this ant who uh, builds colonies, and there's a community of people, or I guess ants are, ants are people too, but uh, they're, they're beings or creations, whatever we'll call them, organisms. Maybe that's right, but consider her ways. Apparently, this is a female ant. And so, and be wise. So it takes wisdom to be somebody who's working like an ant, who's continually working, regularly working, and a part of a community that's supporting uh, the, the people around them. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, there's no leader in their life. There's, there's nobody browbeating them. There's nobody over top of them saying, do this and do that and do the other thing. The process of becoming an adult, the process of maturity, the process of wisdom is somebody who is able to work without being told to do so. And so you have an ant here who we can learn from. And the second thing is this, is that she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So this is somebody, financially speaking, that they are working when the work is there and they're saving up for a time when work will not be there, when work will slow down and they're not able to go out and get food. They're not able to get other things. And so the ant is somebody who is considering their ways. They want wisdom. They want people to speak into their life. They're, they are somebody who is self-motivated. They are a self-starter. They're somebody who chooses to do work even when they're not watched. She prepares her bread in summer. She's saving uh, for the future. Verse 9, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? The ant is somebody who's not constantly sleeping. The sluggard is somebody who goes to bed late and wakes up late. Doesn't show up to work on time. The sluggard is somebody who is folding their hands when they should be working. The ant is somebody who is very focused on what it is that God has called them to do. God himself is a worker. God himself is one who works hard so much so that he desires to take a rest. He desires to take a rest. And so you are somebody as well that can be that also. But here's the problem. The ant is somebody who could have a propensity to become a workaholic. As you know, ants are not people who are uh, people. And so, again, I call them people. This is a major problem of mine this morning. So um, I'm an ant uh, animal rights activist. So, um, the ant has a particular problem. If you're somebody who's an ant, you enjoy work, you enjoy getting out of bed in the morning, you're, you're somebody who enjoys doing your work. There's another problem, and that is that your work could be something that becomes a god to you. You, you, jo- you enjoy it, but more than just enjoying it, you overly enjoy it. You overly enjoy it so much. And as I'm talking about the sluggard and and so forth, you're saying, yeah, I'm not that person. I'm not that person. But here's the thing is that you have another problem. 
you might have another problem. And that is this, that, that your work, you love it so much that it itself has become your God. It has become your source of worship. It has become the thing that makes the most sense to you, and you have uh, desired everything else above your work. And sometimes we make excuses and we say, you know what, I've got to do this because I've got to get along in this career. And I I just want to say this. I want to say that sometimes bosses ask, ask us to work late, and occasionally we need to do that. But when that work, when that job becomes the thing that you're always doing late and you're never with your family, or when that job takes precedence over your life with Christian people and serving in the community with people who are not Christians, when that Uh, work life takes precedence over that and you don't have time for anybody else and you're not really around to serve people but you're just there to serve yourself it is actually becoming a god and you may have great excuses that that are like you know what i've got to do this because i've got to feed the kids or i i don't want to lose the house and again there are situations where you've got to work a little harder right now so that you can get to a point but i'm willing to bet this that most of you who are in that point that position who are workaholics, who are working too much, you're sacrificing your family, you're sacrificing your kids, I'm willing to bet that it's past that point. And it's gone past that point uh, to the point where it gets to idolatry. It gets to idolatry where that has become so important it has taken over in your life. It has taken over the supreme spot. And so what's happening is this, is that you look at your life and you say, if I don't do this, then this will happen. And do you, when, when you say that, like if I, don't, if I don't work late all the time, if I don't have complete freedom to do whatever I want, then I'm going to lose something. Then, I'm, then I, I won't be able to stay in this home and I, I won't be able to, to do that. But you got to understand something. That that is in direct contradiction to the sovereignty of God. Now what do I mean by the sovereignty of God? The sovereignty of God is this. It is that God is ultimately and finally in control. It means that, that I don't have to do what's wrong in order to somehow get what I need because God is sovereign And so when I participate with what he wants in my life, then he says that things are going to go better for me. What good is it for you to keep working and to keep working and to keep working and to have marriages that have failed all around you? To have this great house that you can't even enjoy with your kids and your kids can't enjoy with you. That you don't get to have times of peace with your wife where you're sitting down and you're just hanging out. Where you don't get to have individual time with each one of your children. What good is it if that's all that you do? It's, it's good for nothing. Because ultimately what you said is this. Is you said, God is not in control. That's what you're saying. You're saying God is not finally and completely sovereign. You're saying that somehow that God can't do this. His arm is too short. He's too unable to take care of my needs. Here's the thing. If you're somebody who's a workaholic and you're working too much, do you know how you trust God? 
It, it first begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Proverbs 9.10. You have to start with a fear. And a fear means this. A fear means that I am not finally and ultimately in control. I stand in awe of this great and incredible God. And if you say, you know, I kind of get this awe thing, but I don't really get it. What you need is you need to understand the abilities of God, both in creation and in punishment. When God says, let there be light, and he creates mountains, and he just calls a man out of the dirt and fashions him, and then takes a rib out of his side, and he creates this woman, and he creates these things. But then when you read the Old Testament, and God says, I am going to judge these people. I'm going to use this nation, and I'm almost going to wipe you off the face of the earth. And you say, I don't like the idea of God's wrath, but here's the thing. Since when do you get to stand over the creator of the universe and say, I don't like what you do. If there is a God, if he is real, why would it make any sense that I could tell him what to do? And so fear says this, he is the creator. He does have wrath. He's that stinking powerful. He could wipe me out in a nanosecond. But yet he's given me life. And he's given me work as a gift. And the fear of the Lord says this. I'm going to admit that he's right and I'm wrong. I'm going to admit that he truly is sovereign. But you can't just say that. You have to act on it. You have to act on it. It starts with truly making decisions to say, I'm no longer going to allow my lust of power, of money, of position I'm no longer going to allow my love of people to control my life. And I'm going to fear God. And so what does that mean? Boss, you keep asking me uh, to work um, after five. I have to be home during this time. I have to be there because my family's counting on me. My wife is at home with my kids, and she has been there all day with them. And I need to be there to support her because I love her. And ultimately, I love my God more than I love you. And the way that I serve my God is by serving my family right now. And so what I need to do is I need to be off at five. You start making decisions that are in line with who God is. He's sovereign. I don't have to overwork in order to provide for myself because God will provide. And you know what you do? You go home and you go, oh, crap. Oh, am I going to get fired Am I going to get fired? Oh, my goodness. Do you know what that is? That's worry. That's worry. Do you know, what, you know what you can do with your worries? You can go to God and you say, Honey, I just made a decision to fear God more than to fear my boss or to fear people or to fear a paycheck. And so, honey, we're going to pray about this, and we're going to pray hard that I don't lose my job. And if I do, guess what? I love to work hard, and I can go get another one in this economy. I can go get more work. And you know what? God is faithful. And so what I'm going to do in my prayers, I'm going to say, God, I fear you more than I fear all other things. And I know that you didn't give me a family by accident. And I didn't know that you didn't give me a life 
by accident. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust you so much that I'm going to say, every time I worry about this, I'm going to say, but hey, I fear God. He's sovereign. He's in control. And if I lose the job and if I lose a house or if I lose a car, that's okay because God is sovereign and he wants to provide for me. He wants me to see him as the one who can provide for me. See, many of us, our problem is not underwork. It's overwork. Many of us don't even give a moment's thought to the fear of the Lord in the midst of my work life. And so as a result, what takes place is this, is that I can't be at church on Sunday. I can't be a part of my, my kids' lives. I can't function properly. I can't do business the right way. I can't give my boss all the hours that I told him I gave him or that I'm being paid for. And ultimately, my fear is not in God. My fear is in my status. And my fear is in my, my place in life and the home that I have and the things that I do. And you just worked for money. And you fear everything else but this great God and Savior who could destroy you in a nanosecond, but he is gracious. He is merciful. He is kind. He is loving. And he's beckoning you towards him. And he's saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How does he give you rest? But he, he takes you. It's, it's like with my kids when they're so upset because somebody likes them or doesn't like them and says, I'm not going to play with you on the playground. And we get to get down and we get to say, but honey, son, that person isn't everything in your life. That person can't fulfill you. Your parents love you more than anything else, and God loves you more than anything else. You have to understand, you can't let this color the rest of your life. And in the same way, child, my friend, I'm telling you, if you make work your God and you say, it defines me, or if you make pleasure or luxury or sleep your God and you say, it defines me, I have to have it, you are missing the point of a loving God who works and he works and he works so much so that he wants to take a rest and he wants you to enjoy him for the fun that you get to have doing projects, serving people in life. And as a result, you know what happens? When you begin to fear God more than you fear man, there's boundaries with your boss, there's boundaries with your business. But on top of that, you become a better employee. Because guess what? I fear God more than I fear my paycheck. And so I don't need to lie about my hours. And I don't need to lie about a lion being in the streets. And I don't, and I don't have to make things up as a result. I don't have to be a sluggard. I get to be a great employee because I fear God more than I fear everything else. And here's the thing, I, I just, Romans uh, 12, 1, the Apostle Paul is just, he's saying this, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
He's saying, when you think about God's mercy, when you think about how great, how, how wrathful he could be, and yet he is a friend. He calls me a friend. When you think about how, how much he could be that way, and yet he is merciful to me, yet he's merciful to me. When I'm appealing to you on that basis that God is so merciful and he shows me that in Jesus. He shows me how merciful he is, how much he is willing to work the Son of God coming to earth, actually taking a job, first being, coming as a child and then growing up taking a job, working in life, and then being brutalized as the Son of God, and He's doing this for you. He's working for you. And so God is here working for you, and His mercy is shining through that. And He's saying that as a result of that, you've got to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And you say, I'm sacrificing my desire for sleep, or I'm sacrificing my desire for work on that altar. This is your spiritual worship. Worship God with your job. Worship God with your job. Worship God with your housework. Worship God with everything that you have to do, whether it's in creative processes or simply data entry. Because this is how you honor Him, this great and incredibly loving God who has had incredible mercy on you as a result. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we, we want to ask that we would be people who are deeply moved by you, so much so that we choose to fear you over our job, that we choose to fear you over our leisure. So Lord, may we not overlove or underlove what you've given us to do. But Lord, may we ultimately fear you and operate accordingly. Lord, we ask you for this, and I pray that people would, would look at members of Outward Church, people who are a part of this church, and they would say, they are fantastic employees who, who are so great, and they take care of me, and they take care of other employees, and they're serving my customers, and I love them. Lord, may we be people in our city who don't overvalue money, but Lord, that we love the people around us. And Lord, as an added benefit, we get to eat and we get to pay our mortgage and we get to have things work well. It's in your name we pray, amen.